0: Thanks so much for joining us at Vive Church for our podcast. If you have a story to share about what God's doing in your life or how this ministry has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at ViveChurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Amen. Come on, would you give Him some praise in here? Come on, let's give Him a mighty praise like He's worthy and deserving of our praise, our utmost praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, I'm so ready for God to do something here. You ready for the Word of God? Amen, amen, amen. Come on, would you welcome all of our locations right now? Let's give it up for San Francisco, San Jose, online campus, Facebook Live, and Palo Alto, you're looking fine. Looking real good as well. Hey, I wanna do something as... We prepare our hearts for the Word of God. Would you open your Bibles as you stay standing in every single location right now? And I'm anticipating that today we're going to go to a new depth in what God has for us and in our relationship with Him. I'm just trying to speak into the atmosphere what I'm expecting to happen. I believe in the power of expectancy. I believe, as you said, an expectation God can exceed it. We do not live in an economy where we don't get our hopes up. In fact, in the kingdom of God, God says, get your hopes up because I want to exceed even the highest hopes that you could have. And I believe as we set our hopes on him, then we give him a high platform to begin to move from in our lives. So I don't want your arms crossed today. I do not want you on the back foot. You can just get over that right now. I will prepare you. I am a passionate preacher. So don't sit there thinking, where does this guy get his energy from? Like you, I crash after a Sunday. But, but right now, I'm going to do my very best to be passionate in my praise and to articulate how passionate I am about this relationship with Jesus. And I want to read from John chapter 1. This is our series scripture. And I want to point out that it is a very poetic passage, yet it's also a deeply theological passage at the same time. And this is what it says, John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. That's important to know. But the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. Did not receive him yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, this next verse, verse 14, is where we're going to focus our attention today. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We are currently in a series called The Devil Don't Know. And uh, last week we, we learned some new moves as a church. How many people learned some new moves last, last Sunday? How many people put those new moves into practice last week? You you got a new rhythm. You got a new move that you the devil doesn't even know about. Amen. And I, I thought that we could maybe just, take it a little bit further. My plan is not to preach long today. I want to do a couple things that, and I know preachers always say that. I know preachers always say, I don't want to preach long today. But, 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 but my plan, anyway, the plan is that I don't preach long, making no promises here. But, but I do want to spend some time in God's presence. And so I want to preach to you in our series, The Devil Don't Know, a sermon I'm entitling, Where the Devil Don't Go. Oh, you can act way more impressed than that. I want to preach about where the devil don't go. Why don't you look at your neighbor real quick and say, I, I know where the devil don't go. Just look up and say, I, don't, I know where the devil don't go. He's not going where he don't go. And I need you to get ready for the Word of God. Would you find five people around you, high-five them and just say, hey, we're going to go somewhere today. We're going to go somewhere. High-five them, high-five them. Say, we're going to go somewhere today. Thank you, worship team. Can we give it up for our worship team in all locations? Don't go far. I'm going to need you back real soon. How many people know the phrase, when it rains, it pours? You know it. And I'm not just asking if you've heard it. I want to know how many people have lived it. You know what I'm talking about. It's kind of a great metaphorical articulation of how sometimes frustrating situations in life don't seem to pace themselves out in a, in a, in a mode that we can handle it. They, they come all at once. You know what I'm talking about. It's one thing upon a, a, another. And, and you know what? I find this to be more than just a metaphorical or, or an articulated line. I actually find it to be a reality in, in the real sense of when it rains, it actually pours. You know what? I, I, I would like to consider us a camping family, the the truth is we are not okay the truth is we're definitely glampers and our idea of camping usually involves if it involves a tent then it usually involves somebody pitching that tent putting bedding in there a little fireplace and then we just rock up and it's like this is nice you know it's like it's like a fabric hotel room that's my kind of camping but nonetheless i remember when Back when, when we were just newly married and our, our kids were really young, I remember there was a season where we didn't have much money. So the only option for a little family holiday getaway was camping. You know what I mean? It was economy. So, so we thought, I can do this. We went camping as kids with my dad. And I thought, surely I got it. You know, I, I was there. I saw how we do camping and didn't have any camping gear so we had to borrow it. But you know, that's the season of life that we're in. Amen. You got to do what you can to get a little family getaway. I can remember we made all the arrangements, borrowed the gear off my father. And, and we got in, packed up our car, had the little kids. I mean, the kids were real little and like they're just newborns. So that probably wasn't the best idea <laughs> from the start. But nonetheless, I wanted to provide a great life for my family. Amen. All the dads, you know what I'm talking about. You do what you can. Yep. And so we went away on this camping trip and packed up the car and As we arrived at the campsite, it started to, I would say, drizzle. You know, it just started to drizzle a little bit. And I'm thinking, okay, I've got an option here. I could either sit in the car and just wait for the drizzle to stop and run the risk that it increases. Or I could get out now and get the tent set up while it's just drizzling and and maybe just set up home before it really pours down. So I took the ladder. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to get out. I'm just going to go for it. So I'm out there and I'm unpacking everything. And, you know, it's not fun setting up anything in the rain, especially a tent, you know, where you got to lay out everything. And and, and this wasn't no like one man, two man tent. Like what I didn't really just consider is that when we went camping with a dad, it was a family of six. And so we had like the Taj Mahal of tents. You know what I mean? We had, we had like three rooms to this tent. And it wasn't that you could just set up one section. You had to set up all the sections. And, and as I was setting it up and laying it out, thinking, man, this is a massive tent. It's raining. There, is, there are puddles pooling on the tent as I'm laying it out. I'm remembering, that's right, we had four brothers and dad setting up this tent. That means you had someone on every corner lifting at the same time. Now, now I'm trying to do this because my wife is in the car. She's out the window going, go, honey. Winds it back up. It was back in those days, you remember that? She wind it up and you know she's like, You're doing good, honey. Just a little cheer squad from the safety of the car. And I can remember like just, this was a mess. I'm out there and and, and make, make matters worse, there were other campsites around and people were sitting under their annex with their hot cup of tea, just watching, thinking, look at this guy. Look at this rookie. And so I'm setting up the tent and we're like, it's pooling, it's puddling. And all of a sudden, what was drizzle became a monsoonal downpour. And I can remember just like literally for just 10 minutes just standing in the rain going, this is real life right now, isn't it? (laughs) Kira wouldn't even let me back in the car because I was so wet. But what was amazing about that is the whole tent experience was different once the tent was set up. I hated setting up the tent in the rain, but man, there was nothing more cozy than sitting in a dry tent when it was raining out. And I say all this for a reason, when it rains, it pours. You know, it, it kind of is a metaphor for life. And often it's the way that we would describe the way the enemy attacks us, more often than not. You know, we've been in a teaching series where we've been talking about the devil don't know. And the whole aim of this series is to help you realise the advantage that you actually have as a, as a believer. But you do have an advantage. And in fact, last week we discovered that there's a lot the devil don't know. He, he, he doesn't know your thoughts he doesn't know your next move, amen. He can't be everywhere at once. But, but what I do need to let you know is despite all this, the, the devil does have some power and some tools. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. It says that he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. And the believer who is often ignorant of this is most susceptible to the enemy's attack. That's what I've found. But the word that would most accurately, I feel, describe the style in which the enemy attacks you is the word relentless. In other words, when it rains, it pours. It kind of feels like the enemy has no chill, you know what I'm talking about. He he just keeps it going and he backs it up with more attack. and And that's often what we've experienced, I'm sure, if you have felt like the enemy has been attacking you. So I thought what could be helpful today and be useful to us as a church would be if I could preach on what is not only one of my favorite subjects, but but one of the most powerful tools that you have at your disposal against the seeming relentless attack of the devil. But instead of just telling you what it is, I want to take you to where it is this morning. I want to take you to where the devil don't go. Are you ready? Yeah. And to begin our journey, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why the devil hates you so much? Have you ever wondered? I mean, you know he hates you. the Bible makes that clear his whole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. but what did you do? What did you do like Why, why is that his whole mission is to disrupt you to take you out and to kill you? Why does he hate you so much and I want to give you a little Bible history lesson for a moment, if that's okay. You did turn up to church. You did bring your Bible. So let's do a Bible history lesson. And you see what you'll find is that the Israelites, after leaving Egypt, they became wanderers. They, they became nomads, so to speak, as they wandered through the, the wilderness. And, and they, unlike me, were actually really good at pitching tents. Okay, They knew how to pitch a tent. The Bible actually talks about the tents that they pitched, in fact. We, we see special mention of, of, a, of a tent, a specific tent, in Exodus 33, verse 7. It says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the law would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. The tent in this passage describes a place that housed the presence of God. It was also called the tabernacle. It was, it was a tent that had to be set up away from the camp. It was a, it was a tent. Now, this is a one-man tent, and, 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 and Moses' tent would have been bigger because it housed a whole heap of different articles, different elements. It had the Ark of the Covenant. It had a different place where God's presence dwelt. So, so it was a bit bigger than this tent. But, but I like this tent because it, it's a one-man tent, and as big as Moses' tent was, it was still a one-man tent because only one man could go into it. Only one man at one time could meet with God and they had to be clean, they had to be pure because anything unclean, anything evil, anything that that kind of would would not be a proper sacrifice or gone through the proper ceremonial process would actually fall down dead in that tent because of the contrast between light and darkness and, and it could not survive, it could not place. But this tent for Moses was a good tent. It was a place of strategy. It was a, a place of encouragement. It was a place of direction. It was a place of affirmation. It was a place where the very presence of God dwelt and was manifest. The Bible says that Moses spoke with God face to face like a man speaks with his friends, so much so that Moses was physically changed as a result of being in the tent. It was presence of God and The way that the Israelites would worship God is they would stand at the entrance of their tents. They wouldn't dare go near that tent because that tent was a bit too much glory. But they could just stand back at their tent and they could watch Moses go into the place. They could watch Moses go on their behalf. And in many ways, their worship was watching and spectating as bystanders, as Moses would do their bidding. And and this Old Testament history lesson it really becomes powerful when we contrast it with how John in the New Testament describes Jesus. Remember he said in verse 14 of chapter one, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now I'm trying to teach over this series. So in order to teach, I need to get my Greek on for a little bit. I don't usually do this. I know in Silicon Valley, you get your geek on. In Bible college, you get your Greek on. Okay, so, so I'm gonna do a little bit of, teaching for a moment. And I don't usually teach on the Greek because I really don't want you to put doubt in your English version Bible. They're really good. But, But sometimes there are just some words that when you look at the original language really emphasize exactly what the writer was trying to articulate. And in this case, Grandpa John, because he's at the end of his years and his whole purpose and aim of writing John is to really reveal the divinity of Jesus. And so he articulates the humanity and the divinity perfectly by saying the, the word, the divine word of God collided and meshed with the flesh of man in Jesus. And so we have divinity and humanity intertwined perfectly in Scripture. But the word that he uses here, very careful in his language, very strategic in the words that John uses, he uses the word dwelling. Well, that's how it says in the English, the word dwelling, that he made his dwelling among us. But what you need to know is that this word dwelling is actually found only three other places in all of scripture. And all of them are actually in the book of Revelation referring to dwelling in heaven, which is also written by John. So John had an understanding of what he was trying to communicate about Jesus by writing this specific word dwelling. And the Greek word he uses is the word skenoun, which actually translates as tabernacle or tent. And I'm trying to go somewhere and help you understand that what John was trying to be careful to articulate and make sure that we knew is that Jesus was the very very tent or the very encapsulation of God's presence here on earth like like he referred to back when Moses would go into a tent and meet with God, he's like, hey, that was the old system. What Jesus was, was the presence of God personified. He was, he was full so, 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 and, and He dwelt among us. He wasn't like the tent of meeting that had to be removed from the people. He's like in Jesus now, He's among the people. He's, he's an ever-present God. He's, he's with you, He's for you, he's, he's, he's beside you, before you, behind you, around you. He is Jesus. And he wants to make that very, very clear that the Word became flesh. And the people who he was writing to were well-versed in understanding Moses in the Tent of Meeting. But the whole picture of the presence of God had to be something that was removed from them because it would highlight all the inadequacies and all the uncleanliness, all the vile things that were in our life. But but Jesus, John says, comes as the, the new dwelling place of God's presence. And he came not to just expose the insecurities, but by his grace, cover our insecurities and cover our inadequacies. And So this is what John is trying to articulate. And there's so much that I'd like to teach about this connection because we've got... We've got the the tense of meeting where where Moses met with God and and it talks about at the end of that passage that that as Moses would leave after having a good conversation with God then but Joshua would remain and, and I'd love to preach a lot about it I don't have time I've got to stay disciplined but but there's so much you could preach about that because Joshua is actually in Hebrew named Yeshua the same as Jesus is Yeshua and the whole reason they call him son of Nun was actually to differentiate but Joshua was a foreshadow of Jesus in many ways and Joshua desired to remain with the presence of God, but Jesus actually took the presence of God with him wherever he went. But I don't have time to preach all that. You don't need to know all that. You just need to kind of stay disciplined today. I I know, maybe we'll come back to that later. But but I do like instead to go, I would like to go to Luke 4. Because in Luke's chapter 3 and 4, we see recorded the activation of Jesus' ministry. You know, after he was baptised at the right time. And we saw this in the first installment of the series, how Jesus, he read the scroll of Isaiah after being tempted in the wilderness, in the synagogue. And he he declared that he was the fulfillment of the prophecy. And we know how the people reacted. We read it. They weren't happy about that because Jesus was in his hometown and all they saw was the humanity. They didn't see or recognize the divinity. They just saw Jesus the carpenter. They just saw Jesus, Mary, and Joseph's son. And, and so Jesus is sitting there. And for them, it was prideful. But in Jesus' mind, it was humility because he just baptized himself. And, and then in that place where he got baptized, he then comes out and declares, I'm on the scene now. Let's get this thing started. But the people try to push him off the cliff. We read that last week. And I want to continue on the story just right after they try to push Jesus off the cliff. But as we know, he walked right through the crowd. That was in verse 30. But let's go to verse 31 of chapter 4. It says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. On, and on a Sabbath, he began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. Everyone say authority. authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Where light is, darkness cannot be. I was talking to just one of our board members just yesterday, uh, just about the situation that's, you know, we're just discussing the situation that's going on in, in, in politics right now, and a little bit of a hot topic, and, and he said something pretty profound that I thought I might just put that into my sermon notes, because... He's like, in the season that our nation's in, which seems very dark, this is the most opportune time for the church to be light and to preach hope. In a season when people are looking for hope, we get to be light. And you don't have to ultimately pray for your light to shine brighter. Just go into places where it's dark and it's gonna shine bright anyway. And this is what's happening for Jesus. Just because of he is the light of man, he's in a situation where demons are starting to react. Darkness is starting to react. They, 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 Jesus just can't go into a situation being the light of man and darkness not be overcome. So here we've got a demon-possessed man who's reacting to Jesus' presence. And the devil, we discovered, he can't be everywhere at once. He's not omni-anything. But he does rely on his horde of demons to do his work. And so here we've got a situation where a man is possessed by demons and he begins to growl and begins to shout and snarl. Has anybody seen somebody like this before? I was talking to someone earlier in the week about how they were asking, why is it that in the United States of America we don't see... Like demonic activity like you do in Africa or maybe in Asia. Why is that we don't see it here? I said, you haven't been to the Tenderloin recently. You know, because what's fascinating is if you just go to some places, you can see that activity happening all over the time. I, I was in the Tenderloin just driving through the other day and there was a guy licking a wall. Okay, people, how, how more obvious do we need to get? This is demonic, just licking a concrete wall. But often what you need to find if you want to see demonic activity is just take the presence of Jesus somewhere and things begin to react. Things begin to react. Things will begin to get shaken and begin to react. And simply because of the mere presence of Jesus, this demon actually begins to manifest. He says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon recognizes Jesus and reacts knowing the very power that he possessed. But can I remind you again, church, that you are not powerless against the enemy? You didn't seem real confident about that. You kind of seem like, yeah, that's right, question mark. You, know. you are not powerless to the enemy. You have the same authority that Jesus had. The Bible declares that. And the truth is, the devil don't like you. He don't like you. There's a reason for it too. Because you see, the, the way that heaven works or the power that heaven has comes from authority. God gives authority and he has a structure of authority. And in heaven, we know exist angels. And we don't talk too much about angels. Here we're talking about demons and angels today. Like we're like some kind of really spiritual church all of a sudden. But (laughs) my goal is not to just do this big study on angels and demons. I know if you're new today, you're like, oh, what kind of church have we come into? We're talking about all kinds of weird stuff. But, but just go with me because it's important. It's in the Bible. In fact, the Bible talks about angels 300 different times in, in 35 different books from Genesis to Revelation. And, and, and I'm not gonna do a big in-depth study on angelic powers and what angels do. You need to be in a vibe group for that. Just ask your vibe group leader. They'll tell you all about that, amen. All the vibe group leaders are like, oh, really? Pastor? Just ask him, just ask him. But what I do wanna highlight is that in this system of authority that, G, that God established, he, he establishes authority, He gives authority, and He grants authority. And to whom He grants authority, that authority represents as power. That's how the system of heaven works. And, and the way that God has structured heaven is he, He's, he positioned heaven in three different categories. There were three different archangels that, that, that were over three different sections of heaven. Did you know that? there are three archangels. One archangel over worship, archangel over word, and an archangel over prayer. And these archangels represent the different sections of, of heaven, so to speak. And we see this with Gabriel. Gabriel is the archangel over the word. Anytime a message is delivered, it's delivered by Gabriel. Gabriel delivers the message to Mary about the Messiah will be born of her. Gabriel Brings the word, and so he's over the word. We've got the archangel Michael who's over prayer and petition. In fact, we see it with Daniel when he was praying for three weeks for 21 days for breakthrough, but the principality of Persia was holding back the angel, so Michael had to come and bring the breakthrough. But then we have worship, and the the archangel over worship was Lucifer, who's now Satan, and he was the worship leader. He was in charge of orchestrating and conducting the worship of heaven. All of worship of heaven had to go through him. And the Bible describes his role as pretty amazing. But where it went corrupted was when he, instead of getting the worship through him, he desired the worship coming to him. And the Bible says that he was cast out of heaven and he took a third of heaven. The third that was under his authority went with him. And that's how we we get the... The, the, the evil force right now. You know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to make it really easy to understand and not make it super spiritual for everybody who's new to church. I'm just trying to put it in layman's terms that, that the enemy that attacks you, he can't be everywhere, but he does use his horde of demons to kind of do his bidding, to do his niggling, to do his nagging, to to remind you of some things. And that's how he works in your life, by coming against your, your identity. He wants to question your identity. He's not so much in the flat tyre that you got. That's not like, oh man, the devil's against me. But, but He is in the point in worship when you question who you are and if you're worthy to do what you do because of what you've done. He, that's how the enemy comes at you. And because He was ejected from heaven, He's been desiring worship ever, ever since. I oh, mean, I need to hustle. And we see in Luke chapter four that immediately... After Jesus was led into the wilderness and tempted by the devil, it's interesting what the devil not just tempts him with, but what the devil shows his desires in that moment as well. Because this is what he says in Luke chapter 4, verse 5. It says, The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. (laughs) See, this is what the devil desires more than anything is worship. He had a taste of it in heaven and now he's trying to steal it. And if he can't get it, he certainly doesn't want you giving it. I'm talking about where the devil don't go. This is what I'm going to try and talk about. I'm, I'm I'm trying to talk about where the devil don't go. But can I just side note for a moment, tell you where the devil can go? He can go to church. You don't want me to prove that scripturally. Well, look at this, verse 33 of Luke 4. It was in the synagogue where the man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, came at Jesus. It was when he went to church. It was outside of church, got no hassle. But as soon as he stepped foot in the synagogue, the demon comes at him and that's how the devil gets you too. As soon as you step into worship and you try and raise your hands, that's the very moment the devil tries to tell you, I know what you were thinking about last night. I know what you were doing in the club. I know everything. And he tries to remind you and tell you, you weren't worthy. This is what he comes at you with. Told you are going to learn some new moves. He tries to distract you from worship. He, he, he tries to, to, to remind you how unworthy you are. He tries to remind you, hey, you can't go near that presence. You, you can't, you don't have access. Oh, i got to hustle, i got to hustle. But there's power in worship. And, and I don't know if you know the power of worship. You see, when the devil was ejected out of heaven, God did not select another angel to take the position of archangel head worship leader. Instead, what God did is He leant down into the dust and He... The Bible says He formed man from the dust and He says that He breathed life and the very mantle that was on Lucifer now rests on us. The very mantle of worship, the very mantle to to, to bring God's presence because God's presence doesn't reside in a tent anymore. The Bible says that when Jesus ascended, He said, I'm sending my Spirit and the Spirit of God will fill every person and you become the very tent that contains the presence of God. So when you begin to worship, the very presence of God that is in you and emanating around you begins to light up the atmosphere. So any devil or darkness around you cannot stand where there is light. Can't stand. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. That'll help me close. Stand up. I'm trying to get us into a place of worship. Man, I try so hard to just teach. I just be calm. But you see, the devil. He can't stand it. He he can't stand in it either. Because when you worship, God's presence begins to fill the atmosphere. And that's the place where the devil don't go. He no unclean thing could go into the tent of meeting. No 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 thing no vile no evil thing as soon as it stepped into God's presence it would die they would even say that they would the priests of old the high priests they would they would tie a rope around their leg so that if they didn't go through the process correctly and if they weren't completely clean at least when they fell down dead in the presence of god they could drag them out again and, and that's how how it was but 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 that was that was then now what Jesus says is my grace is sufficient because I've got a once and for all sacrifice in Jesus that now covers everything from the past everything going forward so your presence can simply invade the place where darkness is, then light shall be and darkness shall be no more. This is worship, my friend. This is worship. And this is actually how worship becomes your weapon when you're facing struggles, when you're facing doubt, when you're facing fear, when you're facing uncertainty, when you're facing hopelessness, when you're facing depression, when you're facing anxiety, when you're facing rejection, when you're facing all these things, even in this season, can I just dial it down for a moment? Because I just go sometimes, you know, I'm just trying to bring it down. But even when we're facing uncertainty, and I want to just be a real pastor for a moment and speak into the, into the nature of the climate that we're facing right now in our nation. Regardless of what side of the fence or if you're on the fence, regardless, it doesn't change the certainty that you have in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not trying to somehow diminish and disqualify anybody's real feelings, real confusion. That's where the enemy loves to be. He loves to be in confusion. But I do wanna remind you that you still have tools that can bring some clarity. And when you are confused, when you begin to worship, Let your worship be a reminder of all the times that God has broken through for you in the past. Like the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt and they came through the Jordan, every time they faced uncertainty, they began to worship God. And that worship reminded, who can make war with God? Who can dare stand up against my God? I know that God did it before. And if He did it before, He can do it again. So let my worship be my weapon of praise to God. Let worship be my weapon And God has not only given us the role of worship leader. He's done away with the tent. He's done away with the tent. Instead, he wants to fill you with his presence. And I believe that God wants to fill some people here with his presence. So would you lift your hands in worship just for a moment? I want you to try something out. This might be new to you, but I really want to I want to believe with you that by faith that you're going to encounter the very presence of God. You might have been in a season where you've struggled to see what God's doing. You might have been in a season where you've confused and where it's been vague and you've gone, God, where are you in this season? It feels like you're walking through a haze. And, and I don't believe that God wants to bring clarity for, for every step that He has, has ahead for you, but He does want to give a clarity to the next step, that we could walk by faith, that we could step out with a confidence to know that even though I don't know where I tread, I know who's got my foot. I know who's got the ground beneath me. I know who will make a way where there isn't a way. That is the great God of heaven, the great I am, Jesus Christ, who is seated on the throne. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about Vive Church, for service times and locations, or if you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit us at vivechurch.org.